listening to The 30 Podcast. Here's your host, Jazz Kang. All right, welcome to another episode of The 30 Podcast, brought to you, of course, by the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. Don't forget to subscribe. We are on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it, we are there. And check out silverscreenandroll.com. For all your Lakers needs, we have you covered for stats, opinions, analysis, news, you name it, we got it, things Finally starting to slow down just a little bit in Lakerland, although we did have the Anthony Davis press conference recently. We're going to touch on that. Uh, plus a little bit more in terms of how the Lakers can shake out their roster and how maybe they should go over the rotations. Joining me to discuss all that from Hootmag, of course, a fellow Canadian as well, my man Josh Everly. Josh, what's going on? I'm doing well, man. It's been a pretty crazy morning, as I was telling you before we got, got rolling here, but... Uh... Starting to come down from the the cat and mouse game that I was playing this morning, quite literally. Well, let, let's explain that. So, what did you have to deal with this morning? Because it's a pretty pretty unique and funny story as well. So, I mean, I'm getting up. I just finished recording my podcast for the week. I'm trying to grab, you know, fill up the coffee cup, eat some breakfast in between recording mine and yours. And you know, we're five minutes out five minutes out from meeting you here, and then I hear my cats growling, which is like neither of them growl and. I look around and one of them's got a mouse in his mouth and I'm trying to save this mouth, which is this mouse, which is like screaming, trying to get away. And the cat's chasing him. The other cat's chasing the cat that has the mouse. And it was a, a good 10 minute like roundabout the house before I could finally get the mouse away from him and put him outside. Well, he did his thing. So the, the, the good news is the cats are OK. The bad news, the mouse, he had to be a sacrifice at this point, right? <laughs> yeah, there were there was a casualty in this in this scrape scrape for sure. You know what, speaking of, speaking of casualties, let's, I want to jump into this as well. As I mentioned, uh, I'm a Canadian, you're a Canadian. The Kawhi Leonard stuff, how was it received that he bounced back in Canada? Because, I mean, it was such a huge issue. And I, I love the fact that it raised the Raptors championship run, raised the profile of the sport in Canada. And people were actually more concerned with the NBA finals than they were for the, with the Stanley Cup finals, which, if you don't know, never happens back uh, back home in the Great White North. But when you look at the fact that Kawhi left, I mean, we had CP24, the, the Toronto Network, sending out a, a chopper, basically following his little brigade, going down to meet with MLSE uh, when he came in from San Diego. Was it kind of apathy once he said he was leaving? Or are people like, cool, that's that's like the stretch of basketball that we cared about in this country, and that's it? I, I think the majority of fans are thankful and satisfied a little bit disappointed you know like that's kind of i think that's the recipe like this was always on the table it was always a possibility but you got the best possible result you got to win a championship that's something that the clippers haven't done in 50 years um and 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 i mean at the end of the day that's that's what you're playing for so you got what you wanted out of it it wasn't the perfect ending where he stayed for another four or five and defended the title but i mean you can't complain i think i think most fans are in that like logical headspace um there's obviously a small majority a small small majority a small minority that are mad at him which isn't rational i mean he didn't choose to be there this was always on the table and there's a small minority who are are like upset that he didn't say thank you or didn't take out an ad and i'm like what about Kawhi's personality tells you he was gonna (laughs) type up a player's tribune thank you toronto um he did thank toronto and the fans at the parade and and uh, I you know I mean it was a uh, was it commensalism is that what you learn about in relationship as a kid you know it it was it was good for both of them they both got what they wanted out of it for a year Kawhi's on top of the world the Raptors are the champions but now it's over that it is what it is did you because for me the when I looked at it I almost felt like it's kind of crappy for 
the the rest of the league. Like you look at the fact, like dude, they did everything right. Yeah, I mean, to to me, it was the optimal scenario. You won a championship. He was Finals MVP. He gets to come back to LA do his thing. But when I looked at it too, I'm like, for the smaller markets, and I know people here in Lakerland don't don't care about that. But when you look at the health of the league. Although it's booming in terms of uh, profits, ratings were down last year. I think the LeBron effect had a lot on that. The fact that it was on the West Coast and, and missed a lot of games and, and wasn't in the playoffs. But when you look at that, like, what does it mean for small market teams going forward? Because the fact is, this team did, like, the Raptors did everything right, uh, you know, hit all the right buttons. They had a little bit of luck in terms of running into some teams that had injury problems in the, in the playoffs. But Ultimately, where does that stand for for teams like you know Detroit Pistons? I'm just naming teams like the, the Indiana Pacers. It's like you have to do everything right, and even then, you're not guaranteed to keep these guys around. Yeah, no, you're not. I mean, and that's the thing too. Like, I, I feel if Toronto hadn't you know managed his minutes and had fought with him on playing some of the back to backs, or they'd lost in, against Philadelphia in the second round, or you know what I mean, or Lowry had taking a snipe at him a couple times over the season, still mad about the DeRozan thing, you would have looked back and said, man, if, if Lowry had just smartened up or if we could have just won game seven. or But there is no what if. I mean, you 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 handled it perfectly. You had good communication with them. You get him, got him the rest plan, player management, uh, role that he wanted. He was fresh for the playoffs. He carried you. Um, role players stepped up. He was on good terms with everybody on the team. He came out of his shell a bit. Like, you you won the title. There's nothing you could have done right. So Toronto fans got to feel okay with that. Unfortunately, you know, it's it's not a good sign for the rest of the league. Like, if you're a Detroit or if you're an Indiana, if you're a Denver, if you're all these teams, like, you can do everything right and you can still lose these guys. And, well, I am very excited about next season. Probably the most excited I've been about any NBA season ever. Um the age of parity might be short-lived because you had two guys in Paul George and Anthony Davis who in the middle of their contracts, not the middle, but with years left on their deals, not expiring guys saying, I'm done with it. I'm moving. I'm going to, you're going to move me or I'm going to be a problem. You know, George did it quietly. Davis did it loud, but it was the same. The result was the same. And if you're a small market team, you're not feeling very good about two guys just ignoring the contract they signed and heading to Los Angeles. See, that's where I, I agree with you, too. It's like these guys had a, had a contractual obligation. They, they, they had signed on saying we're, we're going to stick around. And then they end up asking for trades in between. Do you think it would be a lot of a GM to handle it and say, all right, you want to do that? Go ahead and sit on the sideline. We'll keep you suspended. You ain't going to get paid uh, because you're not with the team. You're, you're going to sit at home. And if you decide to miss two seasons of basketball and want to get back into it as a free agent, then go ahead and do it. Or is that just a lost cause at this point? Because like, Sam Presti... I think we could both agree maximize the return he got for uh, Paul George. That was crazy when you look at you know how much a superstar typically nets in return when he's getting traded. But do you think there'll ever be a GM who just kind of stands his ground and says, all right, man, you want to sit out? Go ahead and sit out, but I'm not trading you. Well, you know, the player who I thought it might happen to was Dwight Howard when he was with the Magic. I, you know, I, I thought it might have reached a point back then where Orlando says, screw it, Dwight. Sit. Sit a year. See how you feel. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we're going to freeze you out. If you're going to hold us hostage, we're going to hold you hostage. But stars have too much power in today's game, and, you know, they can leak things at any time. And, you know, like, this is going to be corrected. Adam Silver said in Las Vegas that he's not thrilled with, you know, the the league reputation, you know, the the I, I don't have the exact quote off the top of my head here, but he, he wasn't thrilled with this, this idea that, you know, contracts don't mean anything. The league's not 
as authentic as it could be, right? And he he says he wants to maintain the sense that this is an equal field that any team can win, which we all know isn't true, right? Like, you know, any team can't win, but if the illusion is gone and the team that comes 26 out of 30 doesn't even know if they can keep their player five years down the road, then they're not going to keep cheering. They're not going to have any incentive to be a fan. So there is some correction coming. And, And what I threw out on my pod is like a dual trade kicker. So... We sign you to the max, but if we trade you, you're going to lose. I, I think the max right now is 10 or 15%. I'm not sure what it is. That might get kicked up to like 25% of your salary gets taken back. And now the team has like a, okay, you're taking a pay cut if you force out. And, I, I you know, maybe there's suspensions. Maybe there's some sort of other penalty, but there is something coming. Yeah, that's good. And I think that's going to be the way they have to handle it. Because originally when, when they tried to design the CBA, and this is the owner's fault too, they wanted to get away from the six or seven year deals they were giving and wanted shorter contracts. So you're looking at four or five year maxes now. Um, five years if you're keeping the guy, four years if, if he's coming from another team. And I, I think the owners screwed up on that. I mean, of course, you don't want to be giving out seven year deals to guys like Tariq Abdul-Wahad, which we saw uh, happen <laughs> back, back in the 90s and 2000s. But, um, you know, the owners have to take a little bit a responsibility for this too. And it's funny now, cause I mean, this podcast obviously focused on the Lakers and one guy who had his introductory press conference, Anthony Davis did the kind of the same thing. What, you know, I saw him and I saw how happy he was. He seemed like he was on cloud nine being there. But when you look at, as at his comments, I mean, he did make some disparaging marks about, about the Pelicans too. How do you think the Pelicans and, and Lakers, like this whole thing, how do you think it shook out? Is it, was this the best case scenario for the Lakers to get Anthony Davis obviously missing out on Kawhi, but then filling out the roster the way they have? I think they did fairly well, given given where they were, right? I mean, I I think they prob- I, I think they won the trade, and I was frustrated when the, when the trade went down because people just love to, like, pile picks, pick lists online. Oh, they have this pick and this pick and this pick. I'm like, the Kings and Wolves have had decades of picks, and they're still not good. You know, like they've had multiple first round picks. The Cavaliers, all of those lottery picks, the Dion Waiters, the Tristan Thompson, the Kyrie Irving, Anthony Bennett, Andrew Wiggins. Where is that team if LeBron doesn't come? At the end of the day, stars determine who's winning in the NBA and no amount of picks is going to convince me that you want to trade. And like, I, I guess I'm I'm on the hard edge of that because a lot of Twitter loves asset accumulation. But at the end of the day, you got the star player. I, I think David Griffin did good. His hands were tired. He got a lot of chances to correct things over time. But yeah, I think given the situation, both did well. And then the Lakers, who obviously wanted to make the super team with Kawhi and were sort of stiff-armed by him while he decided and ultimately put things into place with the Clippers. They did good rebounding in the guys they got. Like Danny Green's a very good role player. They have some options at the guard spots. Um Boogie is an interesting bounce-back candidate. I think McGee, for all the jokes, actually fits quite well with LeBron and AD. I, yeah, given, given the situation, I think the Lakers made out quite well. Do you think that, I mean, Davis said at the press conference, he said, hey, you know what, I'll take our roster against anybody's in the NBA. How do you, think, how do you feel about that? Because when I, when I look at this, I mean, and you said this a little bit earlier, I'm jacked for the regular season to start. Like, usually I'm excited for summertime, but I'm like, all right, you know what, let's just get through these next few months and get to October because – that Western Conference is going to be a bloodbath coming in, coming up next season. And to me, it's all going to come down to health. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited. Like, honestly, there we went through this, and I don't want to keep plugging my own pod, but today we, we walked through, like, how many teams? People keep saying parody. You know, Jabari Davis, who's my co-host, the two best. We, there's nine teams, I think, that have a feasible shot at a title next year. But 
I'm not mad. Like I, people were outraged. Like I think on paper, the Lakers and the Clippers are the two best teams in the NBA right now. So for Davis to feel like they have the best roster, of course, like this isn't some like fake confidence or some, some show or him saying the right things Like they, they are, they're a very talented team. And if LeBron comes back after the longest off season of his career and he's healthy, like they're going to, they're going to do big things this year and they should. Um, I still have some questions about the fit and the dynamic between Palinka, LeBron, Paul, and Vogel. And, and I mean, there are going to be some speed bumps. I'm not really sure, you know, what the chain of command is ultimately going to be with some of the day to day. But at the end, of the, that, that is a very talented roster. Yeah, they're, they're, they're stacked up and, and they did pretty well. And I, I mentioned this last week on, on the podcast, too, that all things being considered, uh, Palenka, you know, playing the waiting game that he did with with Kawhi, which I thought was the right move. Like, hey, dude, if you have a shot at getting a Kawhi Leonard, you got to wait it out and see what happens. But this year, I was happy to see that they actually had a backup plan, whereas like, yeah, once once it was announced Kawhi was was heading to the Clippers, albeit on a Friday night at like 11 p.m. Thanks for doing that while I was trying to enjoy my long weekend. I appreciate that. But uh, looking back at it, like the way the way it all kind of the way it all kind of played out with the Danny Green signing coming out right away. And then to me, again, you mentioned him, too. I think the boogie thing is huge. You get him on a one year deal at three and a half million. Him and Anthony Davis played really well together that short time they were in New Orleans before Boogie ended up uh, hurting his Achilles. When you look at that fit, how important is Boogie going to be kind of as he is? He's he's a third guy on on this team. How important is he going to be to the success of the Lakers this season? Well, again, this is some of the, the internal dynamics. Like, I think DeMarcus Cousins' goal should be to be the sixth man of the year. Like, I, I think he, the the hard truth, I guess, if you're hoping he's going to come in and be a star, is that him and Davis played side by side, and uh, Boogie at his best and Davis at his best didn't make the other, they didn't make each other better. Like, they didn't maximize each other. So, you don't want Boogie in that starting lineup. You don't want him clogging up the paint with an AD LeBron team. But if, if you know, he's lost the weight, people were excited about that picture. But if he is you know, back to form-ish and he'll never be the guy he was and just accept that reality. But, if you know, you can cut, run your offense through him as the sixth man. He's lost some weight and he's more mobile. You're not worried about him getting burned on every screen. You know he's an excellent passer. He has some range. I th- Like, that's a, that's a really good player for the Lakers' second unit. Yeah, I, I, I think he's, he's going to start, actually. I, I would go with him as a starter and then bring JaVale off the bench. I, to me, the interesting part for the Lakers is going to be that, that two and three spot because – you know, I mean, it was said, although Frank Vogel said that's nothing's decided in terms of where LeBron's going to be playing. I mean, the rumor was that they're going to put him at the point guard. I would even start LeBron at the one and say, dude, just bring up the ball. You have it in your hands the majority of the time anyways, especially on the offensive end. And then maybe go Avery Badley at the two. Um, and I would look at bringing Kawhi, Danny Green at the three, and then bring, uh, pardon me, not Kawhi, but Kuz off the bench and go with Boogie and, uh, and, and uh, Anthony Davis. Why, why do you think Boogie would come off the bench? Well, one, like again, like you, LeBron and Davis are both guys who are going to get a lot of their shots inside the three-point line. Who are going to operate, drive, kick, post up. Um, there's, just, I just don't think you have room for those two plus Boogie out there. I also think like Boogie is a guy who likes to have the ball in his hands. Like he is a good facilitator. He does like to run his own post ups. Um, I, I, I just don't think it makes sense for him. I, I don't think you get the most out of him if he's healthy playing with LeBron and AD. I also like McGee. I think he sets better screens. I think he rolls to the rim harder. I think he's probably a better rim protector. I like McGee as the token starter for 10 to 18 minutes a night and Boogie being like the sub and then AD going to the five 
a lot of the time too. So honestly, if I was running the rotation, I think McGee would get like 12 minutes, Boogie would get like 20, and then AD would get the rest at center. Um, Now, if I was doing the starting lineup, I think I would go McGee, Davis, LeBron, Green, and then Avery Bradley or Contavious Caldwell-Pope, whichever of the two is better at guarding point guards. So LeBron is your de facto point guard on the floor, but he still gets to guard the three or the two, whichever one is less of a struggle for him. Danny Green guards the guy that's like more intense, and then you let Bradley or KCP guard the point guard. That's, that's what I would run. Now, Lakers fans here don't want to hear that because they hate KCP, but I <laughs> I agree with you too. KCP is like such a polarizing figure here because he disappears for huge stretches and then he was jacking up like 30 shots a game at the end of last season. Everybody thought that was an audition for where he was going to end up. E- ended up coming back to the Lakers on a cheaper deal, albeit. So it'll be interesting to see how Frank Vogel shake things out. I want to get into that uh, just in terms of Frank Vogel and, and what to expect out of him, and we'll do that after a short break. All right, and we are back. Uh, just before, we're talking about Frank Vogel. Kind of a weird situation to have a guy. I'm not going to – I mean, he's a he's a valid NBA coach. He's, he's earned that right. He had a couple of pretty good stops in, in Indy. Not so good with Orlando. When you look at him – what, what do you what do you expect? Because to me, having Jason Kidd just standing in the in the weeds behind him and, and lurking around, uh, I think that's going to end up being a problem. You, you mentioned that there's going to be some speed bumps, and I agree with that too because I do think this team's going to start off slow. LeBron's teams, especially when he has moved, which has happened often, for, you know, throughout his career, his teams tend to tend to start off, you know, 10, 15 games out of the gate. They're hovering around 500. If they do that, do you think people are going to start immediately being like, "Yo, what the hell is Frank Vogel doing"? Yeah, I mean he's gonna get second guess left, right, and center just because of where he is, and because of LeBron, like because he's with the Lakers, because LeBron's there, because everyone assumes LeBron runs everything. Quite frankly, I think at this point he probably does, um, especially with Rich Paul, especially with Clutch now in there. Uh, but the, it's Vogel's hard to read. Like when when Orlando picked up Frank Vogel, I I was excited for Orlando. I'm like, this is a good coach. He coached some very good Indiana teams. You know, eliminated by James's Heat three years in a row. He's going to go do good things in Orlando. And then Orlando looked terrible. They didn't look like anybody got any better. Their young guys played out were played out of position and didn't look like there was any internal growth. Um, and then Clifford comes in immediately the next year, and they're a playoff team. So for, for Vogel to, you know, now come to the Lakers, and I, I just I, – I, I don't know what the fit is there. Like, I, was he just the best candidate left that didn't spurn them, or was there something that they saw that I'm just missing? Yeah, that's that. That's the same thing w- with me too. Because you looked at where he stood in the pecking order in terms of okay, who would you like to have as the Lakers coach coming coming into this season? And obviously, Ty Lue was a name that was mentioned. I uh, had a couple other guys out there too that the Lakers were, were apparently flirting with. Jason Kidd, uh, you know, his name was, was thrown around a lot too, even while Luke Walton was still around. And I look at it too. It's like okay, he did run. I mean, you mentioned his his indie teams. They had a couple of good runs. I mean, I think they took LeBron's Heat to, to seven twice. And, and you look at that, but they played a real slow, grindy, 1990s style. And, and it, a lot of it was, you know, walk the ball up, uh, try and take advantage of guys like, you know, David West. And, and they had uh, Paul Georger at the time and, and uh, Roy Hibbert when he was actually relevant in, in the NBA. He was actually pretty damn good then. I think he made an all-star team too. But when you look at it, like what, what does he have to do in terms of constructing an offense? Or is that something that, like you said, is that like, yo, LeBron's going to kind of take control of the offense and, and Frank Vogel and his, his guys will look more at setting up the defensive rotations and the scheme? Well, yeah, that's the thing that I think you that, – that would be the positive side of this. Like, 
let's just not play games. Let's not do the the magic line that we're going to change what LeBron does. We're going to get more involved. And LeBron is going to run LeBron's offense. He's going to do what he wants to do. Everyone will get a touch when he sees fit. He's a good distributor. He he is what he is. And, and teams play around him. I do think there's going to be some changes. I, I really felt that if Kawhi went to the Lakers, then Davis is just going to get put into that third role where he's spacing the floor and at times forgotten. But now that Kawhi's not there, it's going to be him and LeBron, and then everybody else will will figure it out. But Vogel was a good he was a good defensive coach, or he was known as a good defensive coach. And if there's a system and you can get LeBron to buy in, you have some guys on the team that can defend, then then I think that's up. Maybe it's optimistic, but then that that signing looks good. You know, if, if Vogel comes in and gets guys to buy in defensively, that's a win. LeBron will take care of the offense. You get guys to commit on defense, and I think that's a good pairing. However, you know, you got to convince LeBron first because a lot of the guys on that team, Avery Bradley, Danny Green, they're not the defenders they were, and you're not going to get vets to sign up and grind and defend for 82 if the star player isn't. Yeah, and I agree with you 100% on that. It's going to totally depend on the chemistry between LeBron and Frank Vogel. Because if LeBron is starting to have issues and, and he sees cracks with it, like he did with, with David Blatt in Cleveland and, and maybe wanted to have more say in, in who came in with Ty Lue, then I think you're going to see a quick change happen. And, and LeBron and Jason Kidd have a relationship from playing together on uh, Team USA, and they also seem to get along as well. So to me, that was kind of the interesting point, that they wanted to make sure that they had that lead assistant in place. And it's almost like a, a contingency plan that, hey, if things don't go right with Frank Vogel, we're getting the hell out of here as, as soon as we can. Because this deal it was only for three seasons, that, which coincides with how long LeBron could potentially be with the Lakers, of course, assuming that he stays after after um, the 2020-21 season where he could opt out and become a free agent again. Yeah, and, but the whole... I, I'm so torn with, like, the kid, kid hiring. I feel like it's such a bad vibe to be like, here, we're putting this guy on your staff, and if you screw up, he's immediately taking your job. Like, there, there's something to be said for, like, don't feel cozy. You need to earn this job. And, hey, we've already got your replacement lined up where we're hedging our bets. Like, I don't know that that is a great culture. And it would only take, you know, like a lot of these LeBron teams have speed bumps to start the year, right? Because there's so much player turnover. And if the Lakers start two and six, I mean, it, it doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme because, you know, they're figuring things out. But they're two and six, and then LeBron says something to KCP, who says something to Paul, who says something to Kuzma. Kuzma runs to Vogel, and that's an issue. Or, you know, LeBron says something to Rondo, and then Kidd comes in, and then the three of them form a camp. And, like, there's there's potential for some some strife there that I don't think there needed to be. Who else is going to hire Kidd? It's not like if you fired Vogel at the All-Star break, Kidd wouldn't have been jumping out of his shorts to come take that job anyway. So I never really got it from that that angle. It was weird to me as well that Lakers fans were like foaming at the mouth to get Jason Kidd as the coach. Of course, he's a huge name, uh, you know, Hall of Fame career, one of the best point guards ever, ever to play the game. But when you look at his coaching stints, like what did he really do? He took Brooklyn to the playoffs once. They got smoked in the, in the second round against Miami. Uh, it was a disaster really with Milwaukee. You saw how good they became once he left. Like what is the appeal of, of Jason Kidd other than the fact that he's a big name? And he's from Cali. I mean – that, that's that's yeah. it. He's a big name. He's from Cali and, and people want to believe in him. But he was he was laughed out of Milwaukee like the the diehard Bucks fans and, and the beat writers. You know what's going on there. will tell you that that kid stint in Milwaukee was gruesome. It was bad. Um, and but again, like even if you loved him, even 
if he was your number two choice, if you were going to give Vogel this job, no one else, I, where else was Kid getting hired this year? Like he, he was still going to be waiting in the wings without that awkward tension potential for an explosion that there that is there now. Now I'll hedge with this and say like, given everything that went on with Magic and Palenka and the Bus family and all of the changes that they've made, I don't see a situation where Vogel gets fired this year. Like it, it would be really really hard to envision them cutting him this quickly. But that being said, like that threat will always be there. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I think it would look really, really just crappy on the, on the Lakers part if they end up do firing Vogel because it shows a lack of stability. Yeah. You have these guys here and let's not forget Anthony Davis, although he said he plans on re-signing here. You don't know. We saw that with Dwight Howard, right back in, uh, in the 2012, 2013 season where everybody thought, all right, the Lakers got Dwight, they got Kobe. Steve Nash towards the tail end of his career, that was his Lakers stint is like non-existent to me. I, I choose to just prefer his time in Phoenix. Um, but when you when you look at that, like I, I think it's important for them to show a little bit of continuity and and a little bit of of, of trust in the, the decisions they made. And I think that's going to be the interesting part going forward. Uh, one other thing I wanted to touch on with you as well, OKC and Chris Paul. Now, the rumor is that Miami might be interested in him. They're willing to do that. If I mean, the, the buyout thing, I, I don't think it's going to happen just because of, of how many years he has left and how expensive it would be for OKC. But where do you think a guy like Chris Paul ends up? And is there any shot that he ends up with the Lakers at some point? Like if, if a buyout situation arose, then I think maybe the Lakers could figure something out. Like I think he would come play with with this boy and, and, and try to win a title with L.A. But I, I just can't see any team, whether it, it's Oklahoma City or anywhere, wanting to bite the bullet on that deal now. I still think Miami makes some sense. I still think Pat Riley is like stars breed more stars and Chris Paul is better than what we have here. And it's worth taking a shot on. But if, if not Miami, I don't know where like Washington makes some sense. I guess if, if Presti wants to turn around and deal half of the picks he got now and tries to get, you know, walls contract back with Beal and then looks at a wall, Beal, Shea, Gallinari, Adams score. But you know what? Like, as much as Paul probably wants to get the heck out of there, there's just not a lot of people lining up, and there's not a lot of teams willing to look at that four-year deal. I wouldn't want to pay him either. I mean, I want to say it's the same with, with that Russ uh, Westbrook deal. It's like the last season he's making like $46, $47 million, and that, that's going to be an anchor contract too. And I know you look at with Miami, it's like, yeah, you got Jimmy Butler. If you do bring in Chris Paul, uh, when you look at the Eastern Conference, I mean, who do you have right now as your, as your top two teams there? you got to say Milwaukee and Toronto, or Milwaukee and Philly. Yeah, I mean, probably Milwaukee and Philly. I'm actually in the small, very small camp that thinks Boston will be better this year. Indiana will be good. Um, but but again, like I, I don't know, like Chris Paul and Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, if he's the guy that they think he is, that's a team that could maybe with the right situation make the conference finals. And I think that would be a win for Miami fans. But are you willing to take the risk and rule yourself out of this? This is the thing, too. And I'm, I'm kind of coming. I understand that assets are important and that cap space is important. But when guys can just force their way after a contract to L.A. anyway, like teams got to dig in a little bit more for the moment than they have. I think that's the next push. It's like stop looking five, six, seven years down the line. They still aren't signing with you, whoever the star is going to be. And what can you do to be more competitive today? Because, you know, we're talking about this year where nine teams can win the title. Do you really want to bank on keeping your cap space in case case Giannis gives you a meeting in 2021? Like I look at a team like Dallas. We're, we're, what, one time out of the last 12 years, they've got their top free agent target. And every year they go into free agency all excited they're going to spend money. 
this year, you know, they had a positive year, rookie of the year, Luca and KP is exciting for the next five, and they walked away with Seth Curry, DeLon Wright, and Beaumont. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, a team like Dallas, like, wouldn't Chris Paul push them? I, I think in general, Chris Paul is underrated. I, I think he was his numbers look bad because he's playing next to Harden, and Harden controls the offense to such an extent. But when Harden was off, Paul's numbers were steady. I think if, if Paul went to Dallas, Dallas is a playoff team this year. Isn't that a victory? Do you really think you're getting Giannis in 2021? I, I, I mean, there are teams should, who should consider it, but I don't think teams want to. Yeah, he kind of went from being underrated to really appreciated to being a, a little bit uh, overrated for a stint, and then now he's back to being underappreciated. Because Chris Paul, and this is what I was saying too when he got traded, I'm like, that dude was legitimately... One way, like if that Houston Rockets team, and I believe that if he's not hurt a lot, not this past season, but the previous one against the Warriors, and that you know devastating seven game loss for the Rockets, if he's not hurt, they probably go on to win the NBA championship. And now he's just considered some afterthought. It's like a, it's a brutal league in that sense. Like things move fast, and when they do, people like Chris Paul they fall hard. And it's like now he's just looked upon as really a, a, a guy who you don't really want around, and he's almost being to be traded off like an afterthought. So I, that to me isn't fair because he's not getting the, the credit that he deserves. There, there are maybe five point guards in the NBA better than Chris Paul at this point still. But people are talking about him like he's a fringe starter. Like that's just not the case. Yeah, his deal sucks. But, you know, you think about the 27 missed threes that the Rockets had after Paul went down, right? Everyone talks about the hamstring and, you know, maybe they win, maybe they don't. I, I, but Paul doesn't allow them to take 27 missed threes. Like he's just a savvy smart player and plays a style of basketball where he just understands the flow better than most guys and the year that Harden won the MVP two years ago there wasn't a single teammate on the team who had a better net rating next to Harden than they did with Paul Paul had a better net rating with Tucker with Gordon with Capella with everybody and and it's because he's more methodical like he can't carry the same load and he can't get to the rim the same amount and he's not the usage monster Harden is but he but he's tactical and I, I can tell you for a fact if the Rockets were missing those shots with Paul on the floor, he would have slowed it down. He would have found the the matchup that he wanted. He would have ran the pick and roll. He would have he would have done something different to change the tempo. And 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 the Rockets missed that last year when they switched to okay, Paul's going to be an afterthought, and we're just going to run everything through Harden. I I still think there are a lot of situations where Paul could shine. And unfortunately, like playing with the trade machine, I can't find a way to make it work. But I think Chris Paul would be an immense upgrade over Eric Bledsoe come the playoffs, too. And, and it's, it's too bad that they probably can't find a way to make that happen. Yeah, the, the only way I think he, he doesn't end up in it with a team like Miami, maybe the, the Pistons, if they're willing to work things out, uh, which I, I don't think they're going to they're take a run at him. I, I think he might be stuck in OKC because without that buyout, uh, his options are, are pretty limited with that contract. All right, we'll wrap up on the, this, Josh. You were mentioning nine teams you have, in your opinion, to win the NBA championship. I'm going to put you on the spot. Eastern Conference, who are the two teams in the finals? And then Western Conference, who are your two teams in the finals? Uh, two teams in the finals, man. I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, but that's the, that's, the fun, that's the fun thing about the season. Like the last four years, I'm like, Golden State, Cleveland, Golden State, Cleveland, Golden State, someone. And <laughs> now I'm like, I, 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 I guess if I had to bet, I would say Clippers and Sixers. But I want to see things play out a little bit more because, honestly, today I was talking myself into the Warriors being slept on. Like, if, yeah. if, if D'Angelo Russell finds his role and Clay comes back all right, 
and it works its way back, all-star break on, then that's a team that could be in the mix again. I, it's it's interesting. I want to see these teams play, and I'm excited that I can't concretely and confidently just tell you it's going to be Golden State and Cleveland. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's been a long time coming too, man. And I I, I grew up in 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 the '90s, and uh, you know, although there were there always has been favorites, and you know, Jordan's Bulls were were awesome to watch at that time. You also kind of had like, eh, okay, well, you know, you got teams like Indy or New York who obviously didn't quite get there, but you were like, they could, they could maybe beat the Bulls. And you had the Western Conference back then with Utah and Houston and Seattle. I mean, they, they had some, some good squads. This is the first time I would say in like eight, maybe eight or nine years where I'm like, okay, you know, I have no clue who the heck is going to be there. Because uh, as I mentioned before, I think injuries are going to play a huge role. you got to stay healthy, especially in that Western Conference. Because if LeBron misses 15, 20 games again, the Lakers go from being a top two seed to maybe a seven, eight seed. You know what I mean? So it, it's that close. It, my predictions, I'm going to go with Philly and, and uh, Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference Final. I do think the Bucks break through and, and make it this season. Uh, although they are a little bit worse on paper, I think Giannis still takes another step towards his greatness that we're going to see from him for for a good seven year eight eight year stretch and then in the west i still like golden state i'm going to go with golden state and the lakers in the western conference final i'm not even going to make a prediction who gets out of that though yeah i mean in the conference final i'm tempted right now i'd be tempted to say the clippers and the lakers but like that's pending me seeing how d'lo fits and when clay gets back and honestly i think denver's going to win the most games in the regular season so I mean, it's a it's a really exciting year. You could we could talk in circles all day because matchups will be key too, um, and that that's the only thing about a bad start for the Lakers, for the Clippers, for the Rockets, for all these teams that have really switched gears and have to change what they do. Um, if you start out five hundred through the first twenty games, you're not going to have home court advantage in the Western Conference. So, yeah, that's going to be the big issue, and, and I, I agree with you too. I think this is the first time in a long time where it's like, dude, every single game out of those eighty two are going to be hugely important because you go on one four or five game losing streak, you go on a couple, like you mentioned, you're looking at a six or eight seed and, and you don't want to be going to Denver for a game seven because that's a tough place to win. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out. Uh, Josh, I know you're busy, man. I know you had a rough morning today with the cat in the mess, <laughs> but thanks again for coming on and doing this, man. No, I appreciate it. Sorry for the the delayed response and holding this up, 15. <laughs> no, no, no problem at all. That's, uh, that's Josh Everly. Uh, he's with HoopMag. You can catch him on Twitter at Josh Everly. And check out his podcast as well with Jabari Davis, Hot Takes and Shot Fakes. You can find it pretty much well anywhere podcasts are. And you can find our podcast network on Google Play or Google Podcasts, pardon me, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, you name it. The Silver Screen and Roll podcast network is there. And don't forget to check out our website as well at silverscreenandroll.com. That does it for this episode. We'll catch you all next time.